0: hi, I'm a higher ed CMO and I have a confession to make. I am a little frustrated with the way that higher education is thinking about remote and hybrid work. I think that the future of work has completely changed and that higher ed is often falling into 2019 thinking when it is very nearly 2023. And so I'm really excited to be bringing on the show today, Joshua Charles. I am the president of his fan club, and he is going to be talking to us about managing remote teams and distant teams and asynchronous and all of that good stuff. So enjoy this episode. Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, the podcast designed for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Jamie Hunt, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to share insights and inspiration. With Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, I'm designing a different kind of podcasting experience. With each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest for a deep dive into the challenges and joys we all face in higher education marketing. After each episode, you can join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag HigherEdCMO. I would love to see this become like a book club, but for a podcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at, at JamieHuntIMC. That's J A I M E H U N T I M C for more opportunities to connect. I am so excited to have joining us today, Joshua Charles. Joshua, tell us a little bit about your higher education journey.
1: So uh, thank you for for having me. Uh, so I have been in higher ed for, this is my, my 12th year. Uh, incidentally, the way it happened was that I was finishing up my undergrad um, degree in game development, and I wasn't quite sure if I would go into that industry and my mom was moving moving out of state. So at the time that she was leaving and I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, I, I just uh, found an opportunity as a webmaster at Rutgers. And, through three promotions later, ultimately start, started building a web team uh, and was promoted to oversee director of uh, web strategy and technology for the for the business school at Rutgers. And uh, I, I've been there and gone through a lot of expansion, but it, it's been a, uh, a wonderful journey. And um, I'm just still kind of surprised how it all happened because of a random <laughs> um, job posting on Craigslist of all places, which should have never <laughs> happened. But I have been super fortunate that I stumbled upon it.
0: Craigslist. I don't think I have ever heard about a higher ed job posted on Craigslist. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Tell me a little bit
0: about your team at, at Rutgers.
1: So our team, initially, it was a team of one. (laughs) <laughs> myself from 2010 to 2015. And at that time, I was sort of overseeing just webmaster duties, what might be commonly associated as, hey, we need to update curriculum information or current student information. And that ballooned to the point where at around 2015 or so, I decided that we really need somebody to focus on content strategy. It can't just be whatever faculty decide to, to sort of throw up on the site for prospective students. And so we fought for, for that to expand me into two, um, and we brought on our first web content strategist. A couple of months after that, I realized that, well, I can't sort of be a manager overseeing that while also doing web development. So I gave up my development career, and we hired a web developer, that, and that became three. Uh, and then re- very recently, as of this year, we needed someone to really focus on the analytics and the MarTech side uh, because, again, I, I just can't do all of that anymore while st- still trying to sort of lead things at a high level. And so now we are a uh, dedicated web developer, dedicated web content strategist, a dedicated um, web analytics uh, and specialist helping with the MarTech stuff, and myself who just oversees uh, the entirety of website operations, governance, data privacy, accessibility, um, content design, technology, all of that, how does it all fit together into our goals. Uh, And and that's the four of us. Um, And just one caveat to that is that that is our web ops unit, which is inside of the Office of communications and Marketing, which also has a traditional comms um, unit with social media, video, articles, publications, as well as a advertising slash marketing unit, which focuses on paid um, advertisements as well as email marketing and a little bit more into uh, the Salesforce uh, side as well.
0: You have a really sophisticated sounding operation for a college level unit. That is really impressive. How were you able to advocate for those resources? Uh,
1: oh, It took a lot. Uh, and I, I like to, <laughs> to, to joke that um, we went from, uh, when I first joined in 2010, it was three people down to uh, two very sh- shortly and then back to, to three. And it was all the way up until 2013, 2014, that we were still very small. But then one thing that was really uh, advantageous for us that I, I imagine doesn't happen often is that uh, our, our new dean in 2015, uh, and, and then a little bit before that, decided that undergraduate, that's where we need to focus. We are going to double our undergraduate enrollments. And when you do that, um, that makes it a lot easier to say, hey, we need more uh, resources. So. Um, uh, undergraduate enrollment was doubled over the next five years. We added five or six new master's programs, one seemingly every year. There was so much um, product to help market and and, and sell that we needed um, different resources to help handle that. In addition to sort of thinking about, okay, well, as you're scaling up, existing positions start to kind of fluctuate, and we need to make sure that our staff don't feel like they're quickly being sort of obsolete and, and changed around too much. So there's a human element to that that I don't want to forget, um, in addition to how the organization was was scaling. So that was our story. Certainly when I talked to other folks across the, the country, it doesn't typically happen like that. Um, but for us, that was the the reason why it was easier and we did not want to pass up the opportunities to to sort of tie the scale of the business and initiatives to uh, resources along with it.
0: That was really, really smart and sounds like you sort of struck while the iron is hot and I commend Rutgers for um, recognizing that it takes an investment in marketing to grow programs. It's not just something that you know, if you build it, they will come. And it's not something where you can just keep adding more and more workload to existing staff's uh, plate. That's impressive. You recently presented at Hyatt Web on leading high-performing teams in a remote-first world. Can you tell me what you mean by remote-first?
1: Ah, okay, so this is a, a question that, that comes up frequently, and I think for good reason. Uh, From what I've been researching, in industry, what it typically means is like organization-wide, remote working is the standard. Now, in higher ed, that's probably not going to be the case anytime soon. Um, So what I'd like to do is just focus, when I define remote first, I'm talking specifically about our team. And by that, I mean, can we operate from any location? preferably so that it's it's not dependent on us being on campus or even in some sort of hybrid setting but our is our processes, our workflows, our communication, can that operate seamlessly despite location and time? And for that, what I try to focus on is just making those those systems more asynchronous, being less dependent on live communication and workflows. And if we can do that, then we don't have to worry about patients and things like that. Uh, now, it's nice to be able to set up Uh, things that we can do together as a team, whether we're in person or if there are fun virtual activities that we can do, all of that is still okay. But what I mean is that can we at least come up with a system that works for everyone that we can get buy-in from all employees and not be so sort of top-down that says that Um, regardless of location, we're going to start to measure performance. We're going to start to create workflows and get the right tools so that um, all of our employees can feel successful wherever they are on a schedule that works best for them while still being um, sort of mindful of the the day-to-day of the business.
0: That is such a um, revolutionary way of thinking in higher ed and probably not in the corporate world or in agencies. Um, I'm just... How did you get to that way of thinking? How did you start thinking about remote first? Did it predate the pandemic, or did the pandemic sort of accelerate that thinking?
1: Uh, this is the question that, that came up in, uh, in in Little Rock uh, the other the other week in, at Hyatt Web, and this came up for us and and for me in 2016. So about four years before the pandemic, the moment that we hired our first uh, web content strategist, and it was now the two of us in in the web setting, that was the moment where I was like, okay. Now I don't have to. I have to be mindful of everything is not in my head anymore because I'm. It's now a team. Uh, How do we communicate just better differently? I love to read blogs online. I love to read books, and I'm constantly trying to find different ways of thinking, whether that's within the higher ed uh, space or from other, other industries. And at the time, I was like, okay, well, I know based on the work that we do it would be helpful for us to have project management tools. It would be helpful for us to think about how are we going to come together outside of status meetings? Because the last Mm -hmm. thing that I want to do, and it was kind of selfish, was that (laughs) I don't want to sit in a status meeting every week or every month talking about things that I've already covered or that folks already know. So can we design systems that allow us to cover the, okay, this happened great, acknowledge, move on. When we come together to have conversation, I want that to be more of a free-flowing dialogue so that people feel that their time is, is valued. And so having those conversations and thinking about how, we, how can we operate as a team back in 2016 when we started to expand, that's what really started that journey for, for us and, and for me. And the pandemic was bad for a lot of reasons, um, some that we are still living through. Um, That said, for us, the transition was rather minimal work-wise, definitely not personal, Mm. but just work-wise. There wasn't a lot that we needed to think about doing differently because those systems and workflows were set up for several years.
0: Hey, all I hope you're enjoying this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. I want to take a moment to thank my friends at MindPower, who are making Season 2 of this Envolify podcast possible. Mindpower is a full-service marketing and branding firm celebrating nearly 30 years of needle-moving, thought-provoking, research-fueled creative and strategy. Mindpower is woman-founded and owned, WBENC certified, nationally recognized, and serves the social sector, higher education, healthcare, nonprofits, and more. The Mindpower team is made up of strategists, storytellers, and experienced creators, from market research to brand campaigns, to recruitment, to fundraising, the agency exists to empower clients, amplify brands, and help institutions find a strategic way forward. You can learn more about their work in the world by heading on over to MindPower, Inc. That's M-I-N-D-P-O-W-E-R-I-N-C dot And be sure to tell the crew that Jamie sent you their way. That is fascinating. Like at, so many of us had to pivot sort of on the spot and make big changes to how we operate on the fly. So it's absolutely fascinating to think about having already had those systems in place. And now you're just doing it from home instead of your office. One of the things I said to my team today, in a staff meeting, we're charging a group to look at how we do remote work as a team and do it in a way that isn't that is more intentional, that it's not this sort of, um, we pivoted to this. And so we're just doing this sort of emergency way of of doing things. And one of the things I said to them is that there's never been a better time to rethink how we do things and to rethink what work-life balance looks like, to rethink what um, asynchronous versus synchronous looks like. So from from your perspective, how have employee expectations for these sorts of things changed in recent years?
1: So there's, there's two ways that I look at that. And And one of the things that comes to mind right away is that while I I think a lot of us recognize that the way that things operate in higher ed tends to be different sometimes than other industries. And so even if I sort of put Rutgers aside altogether in terms of trying to think about how to get the team to be successful in, in all of those things as a Rutgers unit, If that person or that team member leaves tomorrow and potentially goes to a different industry, there are going to be different expectations about what it means to work in different environments, Um, probably have a higher expectation of working remotely and more autonomously that way. If nothing else, I want folks to be able to be more forward thinking as employees, but also as individuals so that they can be successful at any organization, so I, I like to just keep in mind that we are not just pre- just preparing our employees to be successful for the organization, but we're also um, preparing our employees to be successful as just human beings. And mm-hmm. it's always good to think about, like, what can we learn or do differently here um, in the event that there is just another opportunity that works out for someone and they, they go off to do other things. So I want to just keep that human element in, in mind uh, as as one piece of it, uh, but then there's also the the reality that I think we've all been going through the pandemic. Even if we um, sort of isolate, which we shouldn't, um, Black Lives Matter and and stop Asian hate and all of the things that we are have and still are feeling as individuals, both people of color and and, and women and other other underrepresented groups. All of that is bad enough, uh, but then we have a global pandemic um, that has affected our families. We have lost loved ones. We have shown that through all, throughout all of that, we have been able to do our job more than 100% uh, in mm-hmm. many cases from student advising to career management to admissions and all of the, these other groups. We have done that. We have proven that we can be successful despite the odds. And I think to come back to um, many organizations, some of which never actually went away from campus, um, unfortunately, uh, to come back from all of that with the same perspectives from senior leadership about uh, pay and time off and coming to to campus because it has to be a campus experience. It, it, there are certainly ways to think about what um, the campus should be in the future for for sure. Um, but I, I think we it's in our best interest as leaders, and just as human beings to acknowledge that people have gone through a lot. And in that experience for them, when I talk to uh, folks across Rutgers Business School, as well as Rutgers University, just privately, um, they talk about how they just look at life differently. They look at their jobs mm-hmm. differently. They're thinking about, like, what's really important to me? Because maybe what I thought was important, like my job and my, my organization and my employer thinking about me as this really important piece, maybe that's not really the case anymore. Um, so there's there's somewhat of a disconnect between the employee and the uh, from my perspective, uh, senior leadership sometimes, and some organizations based on the conversations that I've had. And I like to describe it as for as much energy as we put into the student experience, which is absolutely the right thing to do, and the alumni experience, I would love to see that same energy put into the employee experience. And I just, I don't know if we are there yet collectively, but I think people as employees, the staff, have noticed that. Uh, and I think it would be in our best interest to think about, like, how can we better support staff that has done everything that we've asked and more to make sure that these organizations that are very large in some cases continue to serve our communities?
0: That is such a good point. And I think as you were talking, I'm, I'm nodding and agreeing, but I'm thinking about, you know, everybody has messy lives, right? Whether you have kids or you have aging parents or you have health challenges of your own or you're just simple things like you need to put new flooring in your kitchen or all of that. And when I think about pre-pandemic that all seemed like things that we were expecting employees to somehow work around in order to be successful in the way that that potentially cut people out of being employees Altogether, people having to make choices about what kind of careers they had based on some of the quote-unquote messiness of their lives, and that we're not we're not necessarily getting the best talent if we're eliminating people who have some sort of reason that they need a little bit more flexibility or a lot more flexibility. I know for me, when I was at my previous institution, just being able to open up to re- to recruiting fully remote employees. I suddenly had much bigger pools of talent. I was able to attract national caliber candidates for roles that would never have thought about relocating to Southwest um, Ohio. And so I just think that's such a smart way to look at it and in a way that I'm not sure that all of higher ed senior leadership is thinking about. I say that as a member of higher education leadership because I am a vice president and, and chief marketing officer there's a lot of institutions I think that that you're right are thinking about employees as somehow like this other cast of people where we're supporting students and supporting faculty but staff are just sort of like nope you need to be here butts in seats eight to five how have you how do you think about leading a remote team in a way that supports their well-being while also driving high performance and achieving business objectives
1: I like to kind of break that down into two pieces. On the one hand, maybe I start by defining what high performance is and is not uh, Hmm. to to me. And high high performance to me is is not, sort of trying to be the first person to work and the last person to leave, or -hmm. or working 10 hours, 11 hour, 12 hour days, or trying to be like on 100% of the time. Like to me, that's either negligence on my part as a leader or willfully taking advantage of someone. Uh, Mm -hmm. So for me, I start by saying, okay, well, high performance, uh, that's typically going to be mapping out specific outcomes with the employee that are reasonable. Like, Mm -hmm. what can we say, uh, this is the role, this is what we're trying to to achieve, this is why it is relevant for the business. We can't leave out the the why and and just focus on the what. And then start thinking about, okay, this is what we're hoping to achieve, this is why we designed the position, Um, let's recognize, what external factors can influence that, particularly staff requests from across the, the university or, or the school or, or faculty requests? What sort of things can influence us in terms of affecting our ability to do these things? And let's set that as a framework. I don't need to know if someone is going to start at eight o'clock or if they're going to leave at four o'clock or five o'clock. All I'm looking for is, These are the agreed upon outcomes that we came up with together. We both understand what they are. I am both giving space and autonomy while simultaneously being present. Um, Mm. And what I mean by being present is that I'm not going to um, look over somebody's shoulder, but I do want to be available for them if they have questions, if I need to provide support, both on a particular project, if that's what they need, and just making sure that they know that they have someone who they can talk to about what they were hired to do. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just making sure that if I'm scheduling one-on-ones, that I'm not late, I'm not moving those. It, that's not time for me, that's time for them. It's time for them to be able to talk through what's going on. So. If, if we can have those conversations, if we can level set, if we can agree on this is the framework, this is what we're working towards, this is why, here's how we're going to use systems to keep track of that progress. And by systems, I mean, let's come up with some sort of like communication platform or project management tool or something else that works for the employee, works for me to be able to say, okay, I can, I can take a glance at this and I, I know this is where this project is, this is what's going on, this is what are, is leading us to those outcomes. Everything at that point is good. And then if we need to adjust, we adjust. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, It's a simple conversation. It's not trying to be rigid or anything like that. So if I think about it that way, and I'm thinking about... Maybe like three specific words to to describe it. It's the performance is meaningful. It's challenging, but it's also reasonable. If it can do those three things, that to me is high performance. And then we work it out as two human beings, two professionals, two adults, on on how that can be done, or and, and things like that. So, with that said, I think the well-being part is recognizing everything I just said. So just giving that space, and again, being present, um, respecting the fact that. People have um, talent, and we hire them to do that thing. So. My job is to get out the way and let them be their their awesome selves. And if we can just recognize that uh, it's not about being on 100% every day, it's more like, okay, I'm 100% today. Uh, Tomorrow, I may be like 50%. And the next day, I may be like 75%. And normalizing that because it's okay. And the reality is we're not always going to be um, completely just rah-rah, ready to go every single day. So just acknowledging that we are all trying the best that we can. Um, we are trying to support each other as employees and, and teammates. And if we can respect that, we can, if we can respect the desire to be good, to do good work, to trust one another, and then if we can just support each other in that way, then I think we are doing what I would say is the minimum um, that we should as, as leaders. And if we can just do that, Um, And whenever something goes off the rails, just be open and vulnerable enough to have an open and honest conversation about that, which I I believe I saw a tweet from you recently about just when you need to have those conversations, um, openness, transparency, honesty, like those things matter, then I think we are trying to do the best we can as leaders and as human beings for our employees.
0: So can I start a campaign for Joshua Charles to be president? Because that is such a, a compassionate, empathetic, strong way of leading. And I'm just like so impressed by that and so impressed by like how you're thinking about people as human beings. And I feel like there's not enough of that in leadership. I feel like there's this sense of, in order to be a leader, you have to be excuse the language but a hard ass like you have to sort of demand things of people without seeing it as a two-way conversation between two human beings and i'm i'm just like i'm just really really impressed by that and i would like to name you president of all things going forward so but for all of that how what technologies are you using to kind of manage these sort of remote and maybe asynchronous teams that you're leading? Uh,
1: yeah, so the, the technology is is a fun area. Um, I like to focus on what tools are going to enable uh, and, and help facilitate collaboration and communication. So if we can find tools that do that, and thankfully, uh, certainly, during the pandemic, but also just before. There are a lot, a lot of tools on the market. Some of the most common ones that I see in higher ed circles uh, from folks, Asana, uh, Teamwork, Basecamp, Microsoft Teams, Monday.com, Jira in certain instances. It's, It's less about just sort of like choosing one and trying to sort of make that fit into your workflow. And I think maybe the Better question to start with is like if, if you're a team like what do I need to do and and how um, like break it down w- what is the each individual on the team doing what do they need to do and start thinking about okay well what tools out there because there's pros and cons to everything what tools out there are specifically going to help tailor um, what you need to do uh, around that so for example one of the things that we need to do as a web team is think about two types of projects. There are small projects and there are are large projects. And by that I mean if someone has a a request to just change a document for uh, a current student, web page, or maybe they want to uh, make a correction about a link, or maybe they want something a little bit more than that in that, okay, I I need to, to write a better description of our new program that is for underrepresented students in Essex County, New Jersey, for example. So those are a little bit on the small side. On the larger side, you might see something like, okay, the IT department is growing in size. They're really busy, but they need to to figure out ways of better communicating with faculty and staff. They really need a microsite. It can't just be email anymore or working in SharePoint or MS Teams. That's a little bit more involved. So what we do is say, okay, well, we need systems that allow us to better track the quick day-to-day things, and then we need a larger system that allows us as a team to communicate with each other about, hey, this is the project, we don't need to have uh, other staff outside of our team being invited to the system. We need to be able to communicate to each other about what's happening, and for those larger projects, we need to be able to place specific milestones on a timeline, so mm-hmm. a couple of things. We're looking for a platform that allows long-form communication to as a small team, uh, and preferably more permanent uh, communication as opposed to something that disappears quickly, like Slack, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and we need something that's going to make it easier for us to be able to say, okay, this is what we need to have by uh, January, this is what we need to have by February, and, and break that down. So that narrowed it down to two things for us, which could have been more, but it narrowed it down to uh, Basecamp, which helps with more long-form communication. It still provides some, I would say, lightweight models of um, manage- project management. And then on the lengthier side for those larger projects, we need something like uh, a Gant- Gantt chart system, something that is more details, I I need to be able to see dates, and I also need to be able to share a quick snapshot of a a Mm -hmm. large project like that with senior leaders. So in that case, we started using Basecamp to just collaborate, communicate as a team. Every larger project that we have has a separate project thread. Everything that we need to communicate about that project happens in each individual thread. And so we just log into the platform, we go to our project sort of area, and we just scroll down the list. They're divided by sort of um, uh, marketing projects, they're divided by web services, and then they're divided by operations, like web development and accessibility, things like that. Uh, And so everything that is active, we can just go in and see, okay, this is what the project is, this is what the last communication is, anyone, in our web unit as well as anyone in our larger team can go in at any point in time and see, hey, these are all of the, these larger web projects that we have going on. This is the information that was shared about them. We just make sure that we are communicating through those threads and not entirely outside of that in Zoom mm-hmm. or in-person meetings because then the record gets distorted. So Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that if that is the agreed upon place to communicate about these projects so everyone internally knows what's going on on the team, that we put the majority of our communication about those projects in the place where it is happening, that way it is a record for us in the present as well as our future selves, which will thank us when we have to do something similar <laughs> a year from now and we forgot how to do it. Uh, so that's that's our system. And then if, uh, just to, to mention uh, Team Gantt, the way we use that one is that for those really larger projects where we need to start thinking about building microsites and they have three month or six month timelines, it is a very easy way to be able to say uh, and keep our keep ourselves honest and say like, hey, this is what we need to do by these dates and we can assign each of those individual tasks to a person and then again as i mentioned uh, we can share that system and that chart with other folks in, in our team or with the senior leaders from the the groups that we're working with
0: that's really awesome and really really helpful and i'm a big believer in having my future self thank my past self for uh, things i have done and set up and ro- recorded unfortunately i very often am actually cursing my past self for not doing that um, one of the things that you talked about in your presentation was micromanaging and how it is detrimental to managing remote and hybrid teams. And I always tell people when they ask me, you know, what's your management style? And it's like, whatever's the opposite of micromanaging? Who has the energy for that? But a lot of people do still micromanage. But from your perspective, why is that not a good thing?
1: I, I think the, f- the first thing is that it, it robs individuals of feeling like they are producing and part of something like they, if we are making decisions for our team members, then we are denying them the ability to showcase that they they can contribute to strategy, that they can contribute to conversations. It's, it's not something that is going to provide, incentive to want to be part of the team to want to mm-hmm. have conversations so if we're if we're, we're taking that ability away from them um, again like w- why should they continue to try to um, share advice and to contribute in brainstorming sessions i i, I just I, I don't think that we're, we're doing anyone a, a service that way and then i also think it's an easy way a very easy way to uh just let somebody know you know what I want you to do a very specific thing, and and I only see you as that, Um, Mm. which I think is actually even more damaging uh, because... When we get into the habit of looking at uh, a staff member as only by their title or only by the thing that we want them to do, we're basically saying you're only good for that. Um, I don't want you to do anything else. I just need you to do this thing, and you are only ever going to do that thing. Like it's we don't say those words, but there's like this weird implication of like, okay, this is what you are instead of what you can become. And I, I just, I really, I really, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, so uh, the business case is that we are making it harder for employees to be productive and, and be successful, like, and then that's, that's just bad for the bottom line. Um, and then we're also making it easy for them to feel like, okay, well they don't really have that much of a place here, they don't have a lot of career advancement, and then at some point, that person is going to leave. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we're going to spend a lot of time trying to replace that person instead of thinking about and reflecting on what we can do differently as, as leaders. So it is, it's bad for business, it's bad for individuals, and it's also bad for the people who are not micromanaged, uh, being micromanaged potentially as well. So for example, if maybe it's like one or two people that are being focused on, and but that's part of a large team, the other team members see what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. It's not going to be a secret, and when they see what's going on, they're going to be having conversations about it, whether the leader realizes it or not. Um, so it's going to create not only a a dangerous environment for the people who are directly affected by it, but it's also going to indirectly tell everyone else that this is the toxic environment that they should expect to. Uh, And it just, it sort of creates a domino effect that way. So um, not a good idea. Uh, Anyone in a leadership position should recognize that leadership is a privilege and and not Mm -hmm. something that is just granted. Uh, And think about how we can, Every decision that we make is going to both help employees in the here and now, and it's also just going to help them know what to look for in their next role, so that we start having higher expectations about people in leadership positions across the board.
0: Uh, so I'm hiring Joshua. So you know, if you're you know in the market <laughs> for moving to Norfolk, Virginia, um, I would like to nominate you for president, also. How are you, it sounds like you have a really good office culture, or that you are at least trying to foster a really good um, office culture. How are you doing that? Um, and, and one of the things I hear from people and from leaders is like, it's impossible to build a culture in a remote environment. And I know that's not true. And I would love to get your insights as somebody who's been doing this for a long time. Now, how, how do you build that positive culture remotely?
1: Uh, yeah so so first i would like to say that um uh the I- the idea that uh, we can't build culture remotely is, is nonsense. Um, like you said, it's uh, there are so just looking outside of higher ed for a second. There are companies that have been fully remote for well over a decade. Um, yeah. Like we think about the tools that we use for project management and collaboration, the vast majority of those those tools are led by companies who are fully remote. Um, if we're thinking a little bit closer to home in, in higher ed, many of our campus partners, our marketing higher ed marketing agencies, a lot of them are now fully remote. So. They they do just just fine. I, I think when it comes to culture, a lot of it starts with just conversation. I, I, I can't stress enough that um, what we think about in terms of like, uh, especially uh, some of the conversations I've, I've heard as well in terms of we went remote and we're still still in this hybrid setting and we're just not sure how to figure out how to retain culture, or how to build culture. It, it's not going to be some huge uh, secret mystery or anything like that. It's just recognizing that across our universities and, and colleges, the one thing that we all have in common is that we're people. And if we want mm-hmm. to define a way for us to work together, that's, that's, that's more about teams and, and building teams and just relating to, and, and thinking about teams, it's relating to other human beings. So if we focus on who we are as individuals and what we would like to become, and we say, you know what, I'm gonna have a conversation Every couple of weeks, or maybe every every quarter, that is specifically dedicated to wh- wh- where are we? What are we looking for? What don't we like? What should we do less of? Um, across your your processes, your communication standards, all of those things are going to lead up to defining who you are as as a team. And when uh, let's let's take for example. Uh, if we are in a hybrid setting like we are at, at Rutgers and um, I'm part of a volunteer organization with High Ed Web, so we, that's fully remote, so two different scenarios. Uh, in the first scenario, um, what we like to talk about is, okay, um, start with start with simple questions, uh, at, whether that's individually or, or in a group. How do you like to be praised or how do you like to be rewarded, is it is it in private, is it in person, is it, it written, is it out loud? Um, Start with simple things like that, and then move on to questions like, okay, well, how do you define like um, your, your team hours, for example? Uh, maybe we say, okay, well, you sometime between 10 o'clock and four o'clock, that's gonna be our, like, okay, we, we anticipate that, unless somebody has a day off, or maybe they stepped out to go to a, a doctor's appointment in the, in the middle of the day, that's when we are going to work. It doesn't mean that somebody might um, start early, it just means that the majority of our team is going to be working during these hours. That's important to define something as simple as that because it also uh, indirectly defines what are your off hours. And mm. so when you think about like, okay, well, if these are our team hours when we're typically working with the majority, not necessarily all, but the majority of all team members are working through these hours, um, whether they're in person or remote, then something like, okay, uh, five o'clock or six o'clock, that's when you might consider, okay, I, I'm, I may not send this private message. Uh, because I don't want to set the expectation that someone should respond. Mm. And recognizing that there is a power dynamic, as much as we like to say that we live in flat organizations and all that stuff, the reality is um, we do have a hierarchy system. So as a, as a leader, if I send a private message via our, our platform at 6 o'clock, there may be an unset expectation when that employee, if they read it, that they may need to respond that day so what i would do is first say okay instead of just making the assumption myself because i can see where that can go i would just rather have an open conversation one day about okay how would you like to handle these situations if something comes up and give a very specific example not something uh, open so for example i say um, what's an emergency uh, an emergency to me given the work that i do is if the website goes down or it is impaired I don't consider anything else to be an emergency um, in terms of the work. Now, Mm -hmm. if it's a medical or personal, that's different. But in terms of the work, if the website goes down, it is my job to, after hours or early in the morning, to figure out what's going on. I don't want to, and I don't expect, and we talked about with our, uh, our web developer, I don't expect to reach out to her and say, hey, this is what's going on. Can you help at eight o'clock or nine o'clock at nighttime? It is not her responsibility, and I don't want to put her in that position. So what we agreed is that as the director, it is my responsibility to see to the continuity of our brand site. And that means that I have all of the tools and resources in advance of something happening so that whenever, and it comes to communication as a team, everyone is on the same page about what is going to happen if this situation comes up that's a conversation we say this is what we do as a business these are the things that can happen let's talk about some common scenarios not everything but just 80 20 rule common scenarios that may happen and how we're going to communicate and if we do that then that's just one example of saying okay we've talked about it this is what's going to happen our culture is then then that we are open we are transparent. We are open to talking about what works and what doesn't work. What would people prefer? If she were to say, um, OK, I, I know you're going to take care of it, and you agreed to do that. Um, I don't mind if you just send me a message when it's done that says, hey, this is what happens. It's not that I'm going to respond to it. I just I would like to know as the web developer. And that's OK, because we had a conversation about it. But again, those conversations are really, really, really important because they define how we relate to one another, how we interact with one another, what do we do in certain situations. All of those things form the culture of who we are and how we work together. The social stuff, that's fine, but the most mm-hmm. important thing to define as a group when it comes to your culture is how you work together because that's what people are gonna remember. when. Uh, two teammates are having some sort of issue and they're, they're not gelling well on a particular workflow, something is just not working, they're gonna remember that. And unless they talk about it, it's gonna come out sideways another time. And we mm-hmm. don't want that to happen. So right. we need to focus on how do we work together, talk about it, and go through um, the details of each of the roles and what you do and how external factors might affect that and talk about what the likely outcomes would be, what people would prefer, and not just be like a top-down method, but an actual conversation where I am intentionally listening to the team to hear what their thoughts are and taking all of that into consideration, getting a majority vote and say, hey, this is what we all agree on. Um, So now going forward, um, this is what we're gonna do. And over time, we're gonna keep checking up on that to make sure that that agreement is kept up to date as the industry and our school moves on. So to me, uh, to kind of summarize, it's it's starting with those conversations about basic facts about how we relate to one another specifically when it comes to how we work together Um, Mm -hmm. it's really important to define what all of that looks like so when something happens we're all aware of how we're going to react and how um, we expect to to interact with each other that really forms the foundation of culture and then from there we can get into uh, some more complex things about Well, what does a safe and inclusive environment Mm -hmm. look like? Now, that's a little bit more challenging. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, you you take the same approach. You start with a conversation and you bring everyone to the table about what that looks like because we want to make sure that something as important as that is talked about well before there's any potential incident that comes up. Because The last thing we want is there to be some sort of issue where somebody does not feel heard, does not feel safe. Um, That is the absolute last thing we want.
2: Hey everybody, Zach from Enrollify here. You know that feeling you get when your boss tells you to go find a new CRM? Or when you're tasked with finding a handful of digital agencies to respond to your RFP? It's exciting, but it's also a little overwhelming. Where do you start? How do you know what software or service provider is the best fit for your school's unique context? Well, that's why the Enrollify team built Chatter, a feedback platform built to help higher ed marketing and admissions teams find the software, services, and resources that they need for success. Chatter is your one-stop shop for reviews on CRMs, student information systems, application software, marketing agencies, online program managers, branding agencies, higher education associations, professional development resources, and much, much more. Our goal is to equip you with the information that you need to make the right purchasing decision for your team. Get started by reading reviews and writing one of your own, and then invite your colleagues to do the same. Click the link in the show notes below or head on over to enrollify.org forward slash chatter. Chatter. It's where great decisions start.
0: I, uh this is such wisdom um, from you, Joshua. Like I think about the things that I talk to my team about from, from a culture perspective and that honestly getting process out of the way, like let's figure out what the process is. Let's make sure we all know what, who's doing what and when. And where and and how so that we can have our day-to-day work focused more on like accomplishing things and have wrestling with difficult ideas and having strategy making sure we have some sort of shared values of the way we're going to interact with each other rather than sort of all those little nitty-gritty things that you're trying to kind of feel your way through and it creates an environment where I think people feel like they know what to expect. I think knowing what to expect and not knowing what to expect are two very different cultures. And when you're in a space of not knowing what to expect, that's very, very stressful. Um, and it's unfortunately where a lot of organizations sit. And I, I think you bring some, some great wisdom there. And I love to hear it. You have so much wisdom coming from you tonight, but what other advice do you have for leaders?
1: No, that the thing that comes to mind, I, I would say is just uh, to continue growing. Uh, just because we get a director title um, or, or a VP title, well, well, great. It doesn't mean that our journey as as a leader, as a human being, as a person who is still growing in our own careers, um, and as, as people who are trying to understand how to relate to and manage other people as our literal jobs, <laughs> it doesn't mean that that comes to an, 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 an end. And it's really important to continue to Uh, Go to conferences, listen to podcasts, read articles, read books, um, watch videos. Uh, Continue to expose ourselves to different schools of, of thought and different approaches to things. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with every methodology out there, but it just means that we are intentionally putting ourselves in a situation where our brain is is learning at a reasonable pace, not, not to sort of go to a conference every week, um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're constantly learning and we're, we're trying to be reflective on things that, that we can do. Sure, a relationship is always 50-50. There are things that the employee could do differently just as there are things that we can do differently, and sometimes I feel like the the what can I do differently is not a question that comes up as much as it should. Mm. Um, you know, so I, I think we need to just be mindful of uh, if something comes up and we're not, we're just not sure of like, hey, did this did this conversation go okay? Uh, did something go wrong here? Think about like, okay, um, how am I seeing this? Um, what could I have done differently in this situation? And um, and and just again have those open honest, vulnerable questions. Uh, I I think uh, Brene Brown said it best, the the power of vulnerability um, and what that can unlock in conversations that that we have with other people. So I I always advocate for just continuing to to grow and learn, uh, be part of different environments, do different things, see different uh, things, and I think that will help us just keep our minds open to uh, different perspectives and and just acknowledge that we don't know everything. That's, That's why we we surround ourselves with really talented people who are very good at what they do. Um, but at the same time, we should let them be good at that. Yeah, <laughs> um, by, yeah. by giving them the space and empowering our teams to, to be successful while providing the strategic guidance that's gonna help align all of those individual tactics to um, broader business goals. So just being mindful of, of what our place is um, because we all have a place and then just continuing to, to learn.
0: Speaking as a, a senior leader, an executive leader, I think that sometimes we can get sucked into this, we're so, so busy just chasing from meeting to meeting to forget how important um, leadership development continues to be, that if you as you're appointed to higher and higher leadership roles you can think i know it all right i wouldn't be a vice president if i didn't know it all you don't know it all i'm telling you right now if you're listening and you're a vice president or or whatever you don't know it all it's absolutely a journey and and i love that that's your your recommendation is to kind of keep being humble and and learning learning more I am right now the president of the Joshua Charles Fan Club. So if you are interested, if anybody's interested in being the vice president of the fan club, where could they find you?
1: uh so i am on uh on on linkedin at uh, linkedin.com forward slash joshua charles uh as well as on uh twitter as i i know twitter is a hot topic these days <laughs> yes. but i'm I've, in I've the uh the wait in in c camp um it is very important to me to stay connected to my my higher ed community so where they go i will go. so for now i'm on uh, twitter.com forward slash s-i-r-r-o-n-o-h which is uh sir rono and rono's on our spell backwards, but longer story. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm on, uh, uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, I'm just really excited to chat with folks and, and, and thank you again.
0: Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show. I think there's a lot here for people to take as takeaways. Um, As always, please use the hashtag #HigherEdCMO to engage in conversation on Twitter and LinkedIn. And you can always find me on both platforms on Twitter. I am Jamie Hunt, I-M-C, J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C. I'm also on LinkedIn at Jamie Hunt. And I'm always happy to connect. And um, thank you so much for listening. And as always, go bust some silos.
2: Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO with Jamie Hunt. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts.